let me give you a little behind the scenes. You guys like a little behind the scenes? So obviously, Tim Canova has been uh, talking about uh, the race. Him and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. He only got. Uh, oh, he says he's ready. All right, let me uh, call me. Hello. Hi. How you doing? Good. You are uh, on live right now, so don't say anything you don't want out to the public. So uh, joining me is Tim Canova. He ran as an independent, obviously, against Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, this go around. He also uh, ran in 2016, uh, that time as a Democrat. And uh, before I ask you, I just got to say how if you don't even pay attention to what happened, it doesn't make a lot of sense to the common sense person that you could go. You were down. I think you lost 12 points in 2016 uh, under very questionable circumstances. Uh, to, I think you got less than 5% this time, which doesn't really make sense. Sure, you changed to an independent, but you would have more name recognition this time. Uh, from what I could see, you had a very strong ground game uh, there. Uh, you have been very outspoken against uh, the Broward County Supervisor of Elections, who you were ranting about justifiably the last few years because she destroyed the paper ballots in 2016, a crime. Yes. And now she's become a national story. So in your election, Tim, what is going on? Was there was there rigging? Was there? Uh, I, I, I'll say right up front, I have little doubt that there was rigging. Uh, we had a great campaign here. Uh, we didn't. Uh, let me just say from the beginning that the official narrative is that I went from something like 25,000 votes in a closed primary to half that many in this general election. Nobody believes it who was on the ground here. Nobody. Uh, there were a lot of Republicans who were breaking our way in the final two weeks uh, just on the basis of a, uh, a Republican news outlet. The Floridian Press published a report that there was a Republican poll that had me neck and neck with Wasserman Schultz at 34% each. Um, we had uh, heard from several other people about polls that were out there that pretty much were saying the same thing. We didn't have much money to poll. We, this campaign was so different from the last time because we didn't have the same kind of resources. I think we probably raised less than $500,000, whereas last campaign it was almost $4 million. And for a while it seemed like it was all uphill sledding, but in the last two weeks, maybe last month of the campaign, it really caught fire. Uh, and we had a, a great ground operation, much better than Wasserman Schultz. We had canvassers at every early polling site in our district and on election day i think at just about every um polling site in the district and we had a big texting operation uh i think there were 150,000 text messages that had been sent out in just a three-day period uh, a couple weeks before the election we had um targeted facebook ads we had a number of things that we were doing that were all gelling and our experience on the ground was that it was a close neck-and-neck neck race uh, and that maybe, if anything, we were pulling ahead. Now, I know I'm not supposed to say that. When you lose, you're supposed to take your licks and keep your mouth shut and don't complain about the results. And I really don't care. I'm, I'm a tenured law professor. I, I have no plans to run for office again, especially as long as there are electronic voting machines. I've uh, turned my life upside down for two races that both have the feel of having been manipulated at the end and perhaps stolen. And uh, I really don't care what people say about me. Uh, you know, I, I, I went in this to speak the truth. And uh, the truth is that our election system is a sham. 
to be tied to electronic voting machines where you cannot even inspect the software. So you have to base it on trust. Well, who are we trusting here, Jordan? We're trusting Brenda Snipes and Debbie Wasserman Schultz? No, thank you. Um, I think it's a big waste of time for, for progressives to run for office in this country in any jurisdiction that has electronic voting machines with any kind of history of being tampered with. And I've heard from lots of folks in the last few weeks, and especially the last few days, saying much the same happened to them or to one of their candidates. Hey, Tim, Tim hold on yeah. one second. Uh, we just had some technical issues. Very interesting that we had these technical issues uh, when I get Tim Canova. Uh, when I get Tim Canova inter, uh, an interview, all of a sudden YouTube doesn't work. Isn't that interesting, folks? Hello. Sorry about that, Tim. We're good okay, now. Okay, so, so, uh, so do we start from the beginning or what? Uh, well, you were saying basically that you think there was rigging that went on because obviously it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense that you did perform pretty well in 2016. Uh, obviously, there is known, known uh, paper ballot destruction that went on, which is against the law. And then all of a sudden you only get five percentage points uh, where we left off, as you were saying, you know, most people say lose gracefully this and that. But you're choosing to speak out because to you, the election is a sham. Well, I think our entire election system is pretty flawed, and people who want to pretend otherwise are are really deluded. Uh, you know, there's a lot of name-calling here. If, if you uh, try to uh, question the integrity of an election, they'll call you a conspiracy theorist or some nonsense like that. You know, there's a reason that every European democracy and Canada and other countries have banned electronic voting machines. Uh, they're very easy to manipulate the software and get away with it, so there's that problem. Then in our election here, we, we saw a video that shows a break in the chain of custody of uh, the paper ballots. Uh, and then finally, you've got Brenda Snipes herself as the supervisor. And, you know, uh, uh, forgive me for not trusting the woman. Uh, she destroyed the paper ballots for my 2016 uh, primary while uh, my lawsuit was pending against her. And it was a very active lawsuit. We had served her with discovery requests three days before she ordered the destruction of the ballots. And then she uh, concealed the destruction from the court and from me and my lawyers for more than two more months. So it's a pattern of deceit uh, of, uh, and of lawbreaking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's the motivation in destroying ballots, which are felonies under state law? I mean, these violate uh, state and federal criminal law. Uh, what would the motivation be? So, uh, you know, that gets us into some of the statistical analyses. I'd, I'd recommend people to go to Hollerback Film. Dot com and you'll see uh, the, the graphs that were made uh, on cumulative vote tallies in, in our 2016 race. People can see for themselves. Uh, you know, I don't have any ulterior motive in uh, criticizing uh, the voting system. I've uh, gotten to the point after two runs now uh, using a lot of personal resources and building great grassroots campaigns that uh, it just doesn't seem like it makes sense for uh, progressives to try to be running uh, if there is any kind of a prospect, any kind of a chance of uh, manipulation of software. And can you paint a picture? Because in the final days of the campaign, I mean, you were tweeting and Facebooking like a madman. Uh, it seemed like there was a lot of energy on the, on the ground. It seemed like you cited a, a poll that came out from a Republican source, but that, you know, it wasn't such a, a far distance between you and Debbie Wasserman Schultz? No, in fact, fact, the report that came out by the Floridian Press 
based on whatever leaked uh, sources they, they, they had, claimed that there was a Republican poll that had me in a dead heat, tied with Wasserman Schultz at 34% each, with the Republican back at 13%. And when that poll came out, or I should say when that report came out, uh, at that point, Republicans started coming out of the woodworks and, and uh, telling me they were voting for me. And even a lot of Democrats felt like, well, if we vote for Canova now, it's not going to split the vote. We're not going to get a Republican. So there was a lot of energy coming our way, uh, all the early voting sites and election day sites. And, you know, our social media was very active. Uh, you know, it wasn't always me posting. We had a team that was posting. Uh, but, uh, you know, it felt like a great, uh, you know, the campaign felt great uh, in the final stretch. Uh, felt like a winning campaign. And a lot of people uh, were absolutely shocked, stunned by those kind of poll results. But it's not that stunning to me. Uh, Jordan, for months I was saying that uh, I was calling on the governor, Rick Scott, to fire the supervisor of elections. Uh, what she did were, were firing offenses. I was calling for a criminal investigation. And none of that was forthcoming. Uh, it got back to me uh, through my lawyer, uh, who had uh, was well-connected to, to Republican uh, circles, that the Republicans were not uh, interested in pursuing the ballot destruction case against the supervisor because they had the same donors that Debbie Wasserman Schultz does. So the establishment closes ranks and pulls together. And uh, at the time, I was saying, I remember uh, saying that if, Governor Scott did not remove uh, the supervisor. Uh, he was doing it at, it at at his own peril uh, to have her as a supervisor in the general election. And then how prophetic was that? And then uh, secondly, I was saying that I wouldn't get a fair shake, that they would rig this election against me. So, um, you know, there are a lot of unanswered questions. There are a lot of researchers who are doing research. And, you know, we'll see where, where, uh, where it all goes. And... As far as, uh, you know, what you think might have happened, do you think that there might have been stuff with the voting machines? Do you think there might have been stuff with uh, paper ballot destruction? What, what are your fears? Obviously, Brenda Snipes, who, by the way, was just photographed very uh, non-neutrally, shall we say, with Debbie Wasserman Schultz at the end of October. Obviously, we know they destroyed the ballots in 2016. Uh, what, what is your sense of what happened here? Um, well... Yes, uh, Wasserman Schultz was photographed the week before the election campaigning openly with Brenda Snipes. Um, you know, Chris Hedges, I think it was, who said that the corruption has gotten so bad now that they do it right out in the open, uh, that they don't really care. They know that they'll get away with it. Uh, I'll say that when none of the criminal law enforcement agencies uh, decided to investigate the ballot destruction, uh, to me, that was a chilling moment. It wasn't just politics. We're talking about the Florida Department of Law Enforcement, the Florida Attorney General, and the U.S. Attorney's Office. And it, to me, it was reminiscent of the Obama Justice Department refusing to bring any charges against any of the bankers that had collapsed the economy in 2008. So what does it say about the rule of law when, you know, for average folks, if you step out of line, there could be, you know, <laughs> you might be facing a tough criminal justice system. But if you're wealthy or politically connected, apparently destroying ballots is it's okay. It can be forgiven. It can be people look the other way. And then, you know, economists refer to moral hazards. You know, when bad behavior is not punished, it creates incentives to repeat that bad behavior. Well, what's the moral hazard of destroying ballots and getting away with it so blatantly? Uh, you know, I suppose it emboldens people to campaign together, the supervisor of elections with 
you know, her crony, Deborah, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. And who knows what, what other uh, wrongdoing it, it, it encouraged for this general election. Uh, I uh, have trouble believing in the uh, results. I don't believe in it. And uh, uh, most uh, people I know who are on the ground here, uh, Republicans or Democrats, uh, who are at the early voting sites campaigning, uh, they, they also think it's just a big joke. I saw you on, uh, I think it was MSNBC, no, it wasn't you, but uh, some, a reporter was on MSNBC describing to one of the anchors uh, that this supervisor of elections, everything she's done, uh, destroying ballots, and, and it was almost like the anchor on MSNBC, it's like, wait, you're, you're, right, you, wait, you're telling MSNBC. me that politicians are corrupt in America? You, you don't yeah. say. Uh, it seems like everything you've been saying for the last two years about this one official, but overall... Overall, I mean, that it was a rigged election in South Florida, basically to reelect Debbie Wasserman Schultz, that all of a sudden now people are starting to take notice. Some are calling you a conspiracy theorist because they don't want, you know, any questioning going on there. Right, but right. What, what are your thoughts on uh, that journalist's response and the overall response to this? Well, well, first I'll say there's a great definition of a conspiracy theorist. It's uh, somebody who asks questions to known liars. Um, secondly, I'll say that there was an actual conspiracy that occurred here in regards to my 2016 ballots, a criminal conspiracy that we proved in court that Brenda Snipes conspired with her director, Dozel Spencer, to destroy the ballots. And both of their names were on the destruction order. And then finally, that MSNBC interview was Mark Caputo, a very good reporter with um, Politico, who was being interviewed. And Caputo was the reporter at Politico who broke the story on the ballot destruction in the first place. Uh, and I think he came out with that story before we even had uh, Brenda Snipes admitting to it on videotaped deposition, sworn depositions. Uh, so, you know, people can throw whatever kinds of names they want to at me, and it's name-calling. It's, it's a, you know, ad hominem argument uh, instead of talking about the facts. And we established an awful lot of facts uh, in the ballot destruction case. That Snipes destroyed these ballots while the lawsuit was pending. She, she uh, uh, concealed the destruction from the court. Uh, and uh, the judge uh, on the Florida Circuit Court agreed with us and granted a summary judgment. And in a 10-page order, he found that Snipes had committed all of these uh, violations of federal and state criminal statutes. Mm -hmm. So um, when Mark Caputo talked about this on MSNBC recently. I, I did see a, a tape of it. Somebody had sent it to me. And uh, you, you're right, the anchor, um, her jaw dropped. Uh, and, you know, I, I, can, I, I can imagine it was genuinely kind of um, an epiphany for her that uh, an, an elections official, a supervisor of elections, uh, could not just destroy all of the ballots in this rather high-profile congressional uh, race. I mean, this was not some minor race. This was perhaps the most uh, hotly contested pro primary uh, in, uh, in the Democratic Party in 2016 for a congressional seat. So it, it's a little jaw-dropping that the supervisor destroyed the ballots. What kind of supervisor does that? And then that she got away with it, that there were no repercussions, and lo and behold, it's the same supervisor at the center of uh, what seems to be close to deadlocked um, election for governor and senator in, in Florida. And 
when you when you look at it uh, through your canvassing, obviously in that district, it's generally you know she's been a congressman there for I think over a decade. But did you see in your canvassing? Did you see uh, more people coming over to you among uh, African Americans, Latinos, young people? What were your expectations and what you guys were seeing as far as voter enthusiasm before that don't match the the less than five percent you they on paper you got? The, the groups that we were targeting included African-Americans, Hispanics, independents, uh, seniors. Uh, I'm trying to remember. There was another group that we were targeting. Um, oh, young, young voters. Uh, we saw a big turnout in young voters. The, the numbers show a, a high turnout of those that were under 40, I believe, uh, which should have been with us. Uh, I was told there was... Um, a Democratic poll that was out there, which I hadn't seen. Uh, it was told to me by another candidate that uh, had Wasserman Schultz's disapproval rating in the district at 57%. And it is somewhat telling, I think, that Wasserman Schultz, for all the money she had, and she raised millions of dollars, um, they didn't publish a single poll. Uh, you know, if all the news was so good for Wasserman Schultz, she would have thought she would have just published a good poll. Uh, and they didn't do a single one of them. Uh, now, we, my campaign didn't have much money, so we weren't polling. Uh, and uh, we saw a lot of enthusiasm on the ground. And it wasn't just those demographics that we were talking about, which you could say are maybe some of the progressive demographics, like young, young people and Hispanics, uh, uh, Dem- Democratic uh, Party Hispanics per, per, in particular. Uh, but we also got a lot of Republican support tremendous amount. I got endorsements. I got folks coming out of the woodwork saying they were voting for us. It just defies imagination that I went from 25,000 votes in a primary two years ago to this year, um, half that. Right. Um, you know, either way, whatever um, the reality is, I don't know if we'll ever know it for either of these past two elections. Uh, I, I think that in itself is a bit of a statement, how difficult it is to verify a vote. I tried to verify the vote from 2016. That's why I put in the public records request to inspect the paper ballots. We were going to start in about a dozen precincts, and if they matched up, I'd say it was verified. If they didn't, we would try to inspect more precincts. Right. Well, they didn't even let it, they didn't even let us do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, it shouldn't have to be so difficult in this country to have a transparent election and to verify the vote. And you know, between 2016 and this one, and not just. My races, I mean, all those Bernie Sanders races where a dozen times the exit poll showed him winning and he ends up losing the race. And everyone's got stories to tell that just seems, well, it can be explained if you trust the system. Okay? Just trust the system and it all makes sense. After all, my poll result, my, my election results were published in the Sun Sentinel. It must be true. It was published in the Sun Sentinel. And if that's your mindset, that you're going to just trust authority, and authority in this case is Brenda Snipes. I mean, really, you're going to trust somebody who destroys ballots and then campaigns openly with Wasserman Schultz? I'm sorry. I, I don't want to trust the untrustworthy. And I don't think that's a way to run a democracy. Well, it also se- faith, the faith that Santa Claus exists. We'll have faith that we have fair elections. Well, it also America, seems like... It also seems like the Sun Sentinel down there, uh, you know more than I, but it seems like they have pretty strong financial interests in Debbie Wasserman Schultz staying in office uh, and establishment Democrats. I mean, they might have not rigged the, the, the box down there, but it does seem like the media down there uh, more, even 
in some cases worse than what Bernie dealt with. Uh, seems like the Sun Sentinel down there props up this election fraud and doesn't doesn't even acknowledge it. Well, I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, their coverage of the ballot destruction case was terrible. The Miami Herald was was terrible, and uh, these are not just local papers. The Sun Sentinel is owned by Conk Corporation, based in Sacramento, the third largest newspaper chain in the country. And the Miami Herald is owned by McClatchy, the second largest newspaper chain in the country. So how much uh, autonomy the local news desks have and the local editorial boards, I don't know. There are surveys um, for years that have been showing that editors and uh, journalists around the country uh, express that they have less and less uh, journalistic and editorial autonomy, uh, that these media corporations are more run as corporations and the journalistic ethics really come in last or they're dropped uh, completely and uh, we've seen a, a real suffering of journalistic ethics with the Sun Sentinel where they'll write a report without even calling me for comment so it's a one-sided presentation of the facts and th- they're usually wrong with the facts quite frankly on the ballot destruction case and on others mm-hmm. And uh, but their presentation of the facts does mimic the press releases of Wasserman Schultz. Right. And let me ask you, uh, you have written an open letter to Florida Attorney General Pam Bondi, uh, basically asking for a special election for all these races that have been contested. And there's got, you know, issues of where are the provisional ballots, where are the absentee ballots? Uh, Are you talking about Gillum versus DeSantis, Nelson versus Scott? as well as you versus Debbie Wasserman Schultz, that you'd like a new special election? Well, you know what's sad is that when you express criticism now of Brenda Snipes, when I do, uh, you get a lot of um, Gillum and Nelson supporters who act as if that means I must be uh, uh, MAGA, make America great, and, you know, for Rick Scott and, you know, DeSantis. Um, This is not a partisan um, issue when you're talking about election integrity. And uh, can you imagine what's going to happen after $100 million is paid in legal fees and whoever wins these recounts in the governor's race and the Senate race is going to have a tough time because half the population is going to think they won it on a stolen election. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I don't think it necessarily serves the interests of uh, Andrew Gillum and, um, uh, excuse me, uh, Bill Nelson um, to uh, to stay wedded to a recount rather than a revote, and the reason I bring up a revote is I really have no confidence whatsoever in Brenda Snipes. I look at Brenda Snipes as a criminal because she she threw out my ballots and she did it intentionally and willfully, and uh, I don't I wonder what else is she capable of, and I don't know. But you take a look at these irregularities in this past election where there's reports of you know, that, that show a, a breakdown in the chain of custody just in the paper ballots. And, you know, I must say, Broward County, not just this election, election after election under Brenda Snipes is a shit show. The primary that we just had, um, they, they found 5,000 ballots the next day, and then I think another 5,000, and it ended up overturning a judicial election. There's a reason that there's a whistleblower investigation going on against Snipes because this never ends under her. Uh, so the public, I think, has lost a lot of faith and confidence in these elections, even if the 
corporate media has not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there are a lot, a lot of candidates who would uh, support uh, invalidating uh, the recent election. Let's see if a court will. Uh, so I'm talking to folks about it. I'd like to see Pam Bondi take the lead on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pam Bondi, uh, you know, she grandstanded. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be so harsh and call it the grandstanding. I don't know her personally. But she um, made a statement uh, a day ago, I think, uh, calling for the Department of Law Enforcement. And I think not just a statement, I think she directed them to intensify their investigation of Snipes. And my open letter was, I applaud you for investigating. There should be investigations. But there already was one. Um, I conducted an investigation through civil litigation and the discovery process. And our investigation uncovered criminal wrongdoing that was established in both a videotaped deposition and by a court granting summary judgment. The evidence is there, Ms. Bondi. You don't have to wait. You can charge Brenda Snipes with crimes today. Today. And that would be the first step towards moving towards invalidating these elections and trying to hold them transparently. Right. I would love to see a court um, listen to testimony about people's concerns with the electronic voting machines. And, you know, people can't have it both ways. They can't say that they're afraid that Russia will hack the elections. But then when their candidates win, there's no problem with electronic voting machines. So, you know, I'd like to see a judge invalidate the elections and say, okay, it's time for new elections and let's do it with paper ballots that are counted by hand in public. I wanted to ask you about the bigger picture here. We've been hearing a, a, a hysteria, I think, for profit motives. Uh, you and I have talked about this before, uh, that, you know, the Russian boogeyman is coming to kidnap our, our democracy here. I mean... Something that hasn't been covered is Rick Rick Scott as governor. He didn't purge as many voters as Brian Kemp in Georgia, but purged a lot of voters in Florida in the buildup to his run for senator. You have Brian Kemp. I mean, I've never seen anything like it other than the Supreme Court basically deciding the 2000 election. Brian Kemp purging, I believe, the numbers at 350,000 voters in Georgia. And then, you know, while he is running, you have Brenda Snipes in South Florida in your race. Literally, it's not a question of opinion. To the letter of the law, she broke it and nothing has happened to her. Uh, You know, nationally, people would say, who's Brenda Snipes and who cares? Uh, But the bottom line is... Do, are you, uh, uh, in your experience and looking at everything that's gone on, because it's happening, I mean, you have stuff that's gone on in Arizona, too, with um, fraud. Do you, how do we even start talking about 2020? The media is just going to fixate on the horse race and who's up and who's down. But how do you even know you have a fair shot if you're running on a local level or on the national level? Well, uh, you, you know, look, you're talking to somebody who's run twice. And it's not like I need this. I'm, I'm, I'm not a professional politician. Quite the opposite. I've spent my life savings doing this. I'm a tenured law professor. I've got a very good job that I enjoy. That's very satisfying. I don't need this. Uh, so, you know, if people are saying, oh, it's sour grapes, it's sour grapes. No, it's not. It's a scholar who's been writing for decades about the American political system and the economic system and writing about it as rigged, rigged for the elites. And my experience of the last three years getting involved in electoral politics only confirms those conclusions. This country has a serious democratic deficit for a country that loves to talk about, uh, you know, American exceptionalism and what a great democracy we are in all the international rankings of democracies. We're among the least transparent, 
and and have the, the least integrity of democracies. Money rules. It rules in campaign finance. And, you know, the electronic voting machine, uh, vending machine industry is a powerful industry with a lot of clout. And these elections, uh, they're not transparent and they're not verifiable. So there needs to be reform. And, you know, how do you get there? How do you get reform if uh, the electoral process itself is skewed against you? If civil litigation doesn't bear fruit, like, you know, here I, I went all out, brought a civil uh, lawsuit against the supervisor, won it. It took me years, took a lot of my own money. Um, criminal prosecution, the criminal law enforcement agencies could not have been bothered by, by Snipes' law breakings. And what's left? Nonviolent civil disobedience, I suppose. Uh, but that didn't work out well under uh, uh, President Obama with Occupy Wall Street getting swept off the streets without really achieving much except maybe a, an awakening of consciousness. So this country has some serious problems, and um, those are political problems. Those are problems related to the type of democracy we have. We haven't even gotten into you know income inequality, racism, the criminal justice system, climate change, um, you know environmental degradation, all of that. You know that puts you know our quality of life and future generations at risk. But we're not going to solve any of those problems if we don't have a democratic process that allows the people to have some say in how they're governed. Mm-hmm. And my last question, and I'm sorry to be a Debbie Downer here. I mean, there's there's real consequences here, not just for democracy, but for Broward County and South Florida. Now that the Democratic Party, uh, the establishment wing, is taking control, Nancy Pelosi, reason would think that uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz is going to be yanked out of uh, witness protection and you know her and nancy pelosi and her in leadership uh you know uh, from what i can see uh, she's not going to be a backbencher anymore they're going to bring her uh back to the forefront and uh do you see threats now that the establishment democrats are, are you know obviously there's there's been progressive victories uh but bottom line is it looks like pelosi will be speaker it looks like uh, you know, the neoliberal wing is uh, moving back into leadership there. Uh, what's what's at stake here now that it seems Wasserman Schultz will have more power? Well, Wasserman Schultz is just emblematic of the party. Uh, if, if, if I had beaten Wasserman Schultz, it wouldn't have changed the power dynamics within the party. Uh, it's a party that's corporate owned. Um, you can point to a number of really good notable exceptions out of 435, well, however many Democrats are in the House, 200-something. You can, you can point to some notable exceptions of um, Democratic members of Congress who are still pretty much out there fighting for the progressive agenda. But um, the, the, the center of gravity, uh, the center of power in that party is certainly um, with the corporate-dominated, corporate-owned Democrats, and I don't see that changing. I, you know, I think they needed to crush my campaign because I was running as an independent, and it would have been a big shot in the arm for independent candidates at a time when independent voters make up 46% of the electorate. People have, are rejecting both these parties. They're, we know they're not working for us. Publicly, they're at each other's throats all the time, and yet behind the scenes, they cover up each other's mess. They, they wash each other's dirty laundry. The ballot destruction case here is one prime example of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, I lied. You know, there's... The, the biggest consequence I see here, obviously, Debbie Wasserman Schultz isn't running the state, but 
climate change, I mean, you read some experts that say Florida could be in big trouble as soon as a decade as far as uh, endless flooding, uh, property destruction, and worse. And she's not, go- she's not going up against fracking. She's not going up against, no. uh, you know, oil companies, energy companies. She's, as you said. And, and, and big agriculture. Right. It's a big part of the climate change problem. And not just climate change. It's now become an enormous threat uh, to our water supply here in Florida. It's, it's destroyed a lot of sea life in the past few months. Uh, no, Wasserman Schultz is a corporate-dominated Democrat. She will sing the, she'll talk the talk of progressive politics now and then. She'll talk about climate change being a reality. That's how far she's gone. It's a reality. Uh, I guess when you have a governor like Scott who says it's not even a reality, uh, calling it reality sounds like it, you're doing something about it, but you're not. So, you know, what I've been saying is on the Republican side, you've got climate change deniers. On the Democratic side, you've got climate change hypocrisy where they'll talk about climate change like it's a very real problem, but they don't do anything about it. Wasserman Schultz on the Appropriations Committee continues to vote for hundreds of millions of dollars a year in subsidies for big sugar and even bigger subsidies for big agribusinesses and uh, fossil fuels as well. So um, it's a bleak picture. Uh, I don't know what's in store for not just our country, but the future of our planet. And it just seems like we're living in a time where people have forgotten their common sense of humanity, money rules, people have the feeling that we're living in a corrupt time, I can't change it, so I might as well just go along to get along. And, you know, if that's everyone's view, it doesn't change anything. Right. And uh, I promise, this is the last one, have you made any decisions as far as whether you'll file lawsuits, if you need, if you're going to be starting a legal, you know, legal fund? Uh, We have, you know, 240... 250 people watching now. I'm sure more will be watching after. Uh, Well, what are your thoughts moving forward? We've made no decision right now. We're looking at um, the prospects of uh, seeking a recount, uh, what it would entail. uh, A a recount or a revote? We're we're looking at the prospects of both, I should say. Okay. Both. A recount and and a revote by uh, uh, bringing a suit to invalidate the elections. Okay. And um, I don't know what the... Uh, I wouldn't venture to guess what what we will decide to do, but we're looking at both. You know, I'll say there are folks like Bernie, Bernie Sanders, who um, after the 2016 election, he really hasn't spoken out about the kind of election corruption uh, that stopped his campaign. Uh, Instead, he has kind of repeated the the talking points about Russia, if anything. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a third rail that we're not supposed to talk about, but we need to. Uh, it's it's unacceptable to have uh, an election system like we do. Right. I appreciate you taking the time, Tim. I mean, the comments are very, very overwhelmingly positive, and uh, people are, are very appreciative that you've stuck to your guns, you know, no pun intended. And uh, I know we'll keep in touch as you make decisions. Well, I, I, thank you for having me on, and I appreciate uh, your audience and this grassroots movement. Uh, and um, I look forward to staying in touch with you. All right. Take care, Tim. Okay, Lauren. Thank you, Jordan. Take care. There you have it. That was Tim Canova. Uh, sorry if it was a little bumpy there. Uh, before I get into what Tim Canova had to say, because I thought there were a lot of interesting things there, don't you think it's interesting? Don't you think it's interesting that when I put in a headline, by the way, I'm on Ethernet. I'm on Ethernet. And I just upgraded my internet plan. So I shouldn't have any buffering going on 
on this stream. I got an upgraded internet plan. I'm on Ethernet. Shouldn't be any problem. Any problem. Isn't it interesting that all of a sudden I have Tim Canova on and the channels is buffering like crazy? In and out, in and out. Nobody could hear. Isn't that interesting? It's almost like YouTube has a, has a switch and somebody's operating it. <laughs> just saying. Just saying. Uh, anyway, that was Tim Canova. Obviously, uh, if, you're, if you came a little late, Tim Canova lost in two, 2016 to Debbie Wasserman Schultz by 12 points. Pretty, not a, not a small margin, but not, uh, you know, not 25 points. And in that race, it was proven through Tim Canova's lawsuit against the Broward County that the supervisor of elections literally threw out, literally threw out the paper ballots, literally threw out the paper ballots, which is illegal. You can't destroy ballots in any election that way. Uh, So we don't know in 2016 if he won or lost. We don't know how much. He actually lost by. We don't know if he actually won in 2016. Thank you, Jay, for the 14.99 in the super chat. Keep the super chat coming and keep the GoFundMe coming. We're almost at 20,000 in the GoFundMe. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody contributing. Uh, we don't know, but in this specific issue, and I'm going to get grief from some quarters for having him on. And Jordan, you're a conspiracy theorist. There's no proof that anything untoward happened. Uh, you know what? No, there's not proof, but. Does it make sense to you that somebody gets, I think last election, he got 43% of the vote, 40, Jen or Sam, check what the results were in 2016, the primary first Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Tim Canova. I believe he got 43, 43% of the vote. How do you go from 43% of the vote down to, I think, 4.9% of the vote? That kind of drop isn't because he went from a Democrat to an independent, if anything, he was not a brand new uh, figure anymore this time around. He was a well He had name recognition. He ran in 2016. He did a lot more canvassing uh, between 2016 and 2018. Met a lot more people. Thank you, Sam. He got 43.2% of the vote in 2016. How do you go from 43.2% of the vote down to 4.9% of the vote? That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. I don't have to have proof sitting here right now to know that smells fishy. Oh, thank you, Jen. I thought it was Sam because some some comments were Sam, and now they're you. Thanks, Jen. So I don't. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Uh, there's no proof at this moment. But you know what? There is proof. Every county, so Broward County, every one of them has a supervisor of elections. Well, that supervisor of elections broke the law in 2016. She threw out the paper ballots. The only way for you to actually do a recount, make sure there wasn't any election fraud, is to count the ballots. Well, she threw them out. He won civilly. She broke the law criminally. But as we always talk about, and Ty just did a live stream earlier, there's two legal systems in this country, one for the powerful and one for us. Actually, there's three. One for the powerful, one for like people like me, semi-privileged white dudes, and one for black people and brown people and Native Americans. So it doesn't make sense. You don't go from 43% of the vote in 2016 to 4.9% of the vote. And no, him switching from Democrat to independent does not make that big of a drop. Frankly, if anything, he might, you know, could it it have been that he went down from 43% to like 20%? Possibly. But 
43 to 4.9. Jen, could you check what the results were this time? I think he had 4.9%. No. You can't you cannot tell me that's valid. Especially why was this supervisor of election who broke the law overseeing this election? Tell me that. How is somebody who broke the law, who's supposed to be neutral and threw out the ballots, basically election ballot destruction? That's not dramatized. That's what happened. Why is she still involved? Why does she still have a job? Why is she not in jail? 5%. Thank you, Jen. And by the way, there were pictures of Brenda Snipes, who Tim kept talking about, literally with her arm around Debbie Wasserman Schultz the last week of October, a week before the election. Are you kidding me? I think there was election fraud in this race. Uh, I wish I had the funding to go down there, investigate it. Unfortunately, I don't. That's why we're doing the GoFundMe in the first place. I think a lot of you think we're just hawking you for the hell of it. No, we're hawking you because we want to get out there and investigate these things. Uh, we have 294 people that have contributed to the GoFundMe. We are trying you know, desperately to get to our goal. Our goal is 50000 overall, but we're obviously within a major goal. You have to set mini goals. So our goal for November is to hit $25,000. Still got plenty of time to do that. So uh, we're at 294 And I promise you, I promise you, the more money we raise, the more I'm able to investigate things. Honestly, Jen could tell you because she's in the chat, one of the things we're trying to raise money for is to hire some additional people. Jen's doing the job of 25 people. I'm doing the job of many people. Ty's doing the job of several people. We would like to get research help. We can break stories. We can expose what's going on with Tim Canova and Debbie Wasserman Schultz and what happened there. But you can't do those things without resources. So thank you to everyone who's been contributing. Keep it coming, uh, either in the Super Chat or in the GoFundMe. Thank you, Suzy. $2 in the Super Chat. And uh, of course I had Tim on. I told you guys I was trying to get him all weekend, but busy guy. Um, no representation says, how can you investigate stuff, Jordan, when the networks can't? Uh, if you haven't noticed, I'm not the networks. But Status Quo is a network of independent, grassroots, guerrilla journalism. And the networks, they're not networks. They're public relations people pretending to be journalists. Come on, man. They're public relations people pretending to be journalists. Networks. I mean, you could watch the video I did literally when a political reporter was on with MSNBC talking about, talking about <laughs> that this uh, election official had destroyed the paper ballots but stayed on as supervisor of elections. The MSNBC anchor, it was like she just learned Santa was, wasn't real. She was like, what? That's weird that that happened. None of these people... None of these people in the media, you know, the basic premise of journalism, if you're an actual journalist, is the government is lying. You start from that basic proposition. Government's lying. That's what I start with. And then you work your way back. In rare cases, you find out, oh, okay, they're not lying. In most cases, they are. Or half telling a half truth. But no, this supervisor of elections destroyed the paper ballots, broke the law, and nothing happened. And by the way, it's not like this election between Debbie Wasserman Schultz and Tim Canova. Think back to 2016. It wasn't that long ago. Tim Canova was the highest profile candidate on a state level. It was Bernie Sanders at the top of the ticket. Tim Canova was the highest profile progressive in the country running on a state level. He was getting millions of dollars in small dollar donations from out of Florida. Tim Canova versus Debbie Wasserman Schultz might as well have been a national election. 
in 2016. Thank you, Triana Be Fine, five bucks. Okay, you're not, you're worth way more, but here you go. Well, whatever you could do, I thank, I thank you. Laura Powers, thanks for the 20 bucks in the super chat. Keep it coming, folks. So this was not a small election. And right there in 2016, there was election fraud. Nothing happened. Absolutely nothing happened. Just like 200,000 voters were purged off the rolls in New York City in 2016, which everything I could tell helped Hillary Clinton, nothing happened. In Georgia, Brian Kemp purged hundreds of thousands of voters off the rolls. Nothing's happening. How do you, you want to sit here and rant about Robert Mueller's investigation to we're blue in the face about Russian trolls and the Russian boogeyman? We don't have free and fair elections because domestic, domestic sources are hacking elections. Domestic sources are rigging elections. Domestic sources are breaking election laws. Russia is the least of my concern. Hold on, I got to do my Marco Rubio. Very parched today. And press the share button. Let's get this out. I mean, God, you got Russia and China and Israel. Uh, sitting United States politicians are tossing illegally hundreds, actually millions, because Rick Scott, Rick Scott purged a lot of voters in Florida too. Let me tell you something. Look at Georgia. Stacey Abrams is down by a little over a point. Stacey Abrams would have won by five to seven points if 340,000 Georgians weren't purged, majority of which were African-American. We'd be sitting here talking about history, the first African-American governor of Georgia and the first woman. Afri- I, I don't, was there a female governor of Georgia? I don't know. But definitely the first African-American governor of Georgia. I mean, there's been purges everywhere. Greg Palast has done some amazing reporting. I don't know if he has a beef with me or something because I've direct messaged him like a hundred times to try and interview him and prop up his reporting. But Greg Palast has exposed all of this election purging and fraud all over the country. Like there's a crisis around this country and it's not coming from Donald. I mean, yeah, Trump is a problem too. Don't get me wrong. But it's from Democratic governors doing this, Democratic election officials, Republican governors. Our politicians are rigging the elections for themselves. And if they're not directly rigging it, their allies, like Brenda Snipes, who is an ally of Debbie Wasserman Schultz, is rigging it. Kennett, 21,907 votes for Tim Canova in the 2016 primary, 12,116 votes for him in the 2018 election. I'm sorry, I don't buy that kind of drop. I don't buy that kind of drop. 21,000 down to 12,000. Now, you want to say he ran as a Democrat, so he got 21,907. All right. Maybe as an independent, he would lose. Maybe he would go down to 18,000. But I don't buy that. Not at all. So that's what I think. On this Veterans Day, before I read the Maureen Dowd column, you know, the media is getting ready with their puckered lips to, you know, run Joe Biden. They want Joe Biden to be the Democratic candidate. Well, look what Joe Biden's doing these days. You really can't make this up. You really can't make this up. Joe Biden last night 
quote, we share a belief that those democratic values are precious. They exist above party and they have to be defended. Vice President Joe Biden, while honoring and awarding President George W. Bush, George W. Bush with this year's Liberty Medal. No, this isn't the onion, folks. George W. Bush was an awarded a was awarded a Liberty Medal by Joe Biden. Quote, we share a belief that these democratic values are precious. They exist above party and they have to be defended. Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, and this is who we want to run against Donald Trump? This, this is who we want to take back the Rust Belt from Trump? You can have two things being true. George W. Bush is a war criminal who should be in jail. And Donald Trump is a menace to society, has fascist tendencies, is a dictator. Well, is on his way to being a dictator. But it seems that the media and people like Joe Biden have basically erased history to kind of make the present more catastrophic. So we have to make Donald Trump seem like Hitler. We have to make Donald Trump a buffoon who doesn't know his head from his ass. We have to make him to be the Antichrist. So we need to soften and, you know, kind of uh, fertilize a little bit. Take the taint off. People, do you, who, George W. Bush's decision in Iraq has killed over 100,000 people, killed or injured over 100,000 people. DID, thanks for the 499. And no representation. Thank you for that comment. I'm not going to say it, but I lo- <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, God. Truth hurts, doesn't it? No representation? Anyway. Um, it's unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable that George W. Bush is allowed to go out in public. He just had... He was just um, at the Philadelphia Eagles football game last night, and he was brought out during the national anthem to talk to, to praise veterans, the very man that killed these veterans for nothing, for no reason other than for Dick Cheney and his buddies at Halliburton to make billions of dollars. And Joe Biden's giving this man a Liberty Medal? Does it, is it just me? Anybody else see a problem with this? You, you can't make it up. Can't make it up. Johnny Nice, 2020 is going to see record censorship and alternative media suppression. It's going to be a free speech bloodbath, not on our watch. That's why we are growing, and that's why we have, we have created statuscoup.com. We're going to be doing a lot more on our website, so definitely go put go to the website now. Enter your email so you could join our email list. Where our plan is not exclusive, exclusively to be on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. So we got a lot of plans. Unfortunately, we don't have a lot of people. It's just Jen, myself, and Ty. So we're, <laughs> ambition only takes you so far. You do need resources. So Edward Klein, neoliberalism has caused all of this. Couldn't agree more. You don't have extreme conservatism without neoliberals propping it up. 
That's the problem. Extreme conservatism can be defeated if you actually have a real opposition party that stands for something and actually gives the people what they want. The country overwhelmingly supports progressive policies. The problem is we have neoliberals cock-blocking those progressive policies. Excuse my French. So I want to read this story. I never thought I'd say these words from Maureen, uh, from Maureen Dowd, who I think is pretty establishment. But in this case, I really like this story. So she has an image. Who's the real American cycle? And uh, she has an image of Dick Cheney played by Christian Bale, uh, which is I think that movie is coming up uh, in December. Uh, Christian Bale plays Dick Cheney in Vice. Donald Trump is running wild and running scared. Again, this is Maureen Dowd with The New York Times. He's such a menace that it's tempting to cheer any uh, vituperative critic, never heard that word, vituperative critic, and grab any handy truncheon. But villainizing Trump should not entail sanitizing other malefactors. And we should acknowledge that the president is right on one point. For neocons, journalists, authors, political hacks, and pundits, there is a financial incentive to demonize the president, not to mention an instant halo effect. Only Trump could get the pussyhat crowd to Times Square to protest Jeff Sessions' firing. That's so true. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how bad and how rock bottom we have gotten that people are sitting there defending Jeff Sessions as attorney generals? Jeff Sessions literally could, if you didn't know who he was and you just listened to his voice and some of the things he said, sounds like a man in the KKK. But we hate Trump so much that we're going to go protest because Jeff Sessions has been removed. I don't agree that Trump is putting in one of his boys in there to basically stop the Mueller investigation and pay, and water it down. I don't agree with that. But let you know, oh, let's pretend that Jeff Sessions is so great. Ugh. So we make the president the devil spawn and he makes us the enemy of the people and everybody wins. Or do they? To what extent is lucrative Trump hysteria warping our discourse? Well, I've been saying this for many years, but yes. Trump may not be sweaty and swarthy, but he makes a good bad guy. As with Nixon and Watergate, the correct moral response and the lavish ruminative rewards neatly dovetail. Even for Washington, the capital of do-overs and the soulless swamp, where horrendous mistakes never prevent you from cashing in and getting another security clearance, there is a re- this is a repellent spectacle. War criminals turned liberal heroes are festooned with book and TV contracts, podcasts, and op-ed perches. Those who, those who sold us the cakewalk Iraq war and the outrageously unprepared Sarah Palin and torture as enhanced interrogation. Those who left the Middle East shattered with a cascading refugee crisis and a rising ISIS. And those who midwifed the birth of the Tea Party are washing away their sins in a basin of Trump hate. The very same Republicans who eroded America's moral authority in the 2000s are staggeringly being treated as the new guardians of moral authority. They bellow that Trump is a blight on democracy. But where were these patriots when the Bush administration was deceiving us with a cooked-up war in Iraq? Michelle Obama has written in her memoir that she will never forgive Trump for pushing the birther movement. Yet the Pygmalions of Palin, who backed Trump on their birther filth, are now amongst the most celebrated voices in Michelle's party. The architects and enablers of the Iraq War, uh, of the Iraq War, and Abu Ghraib are still being listed, listened to on foreign policy, both inside the administration, John Bolton and Gina Hospital, and out. 
Never Trumper Elliot Cohen wrote the Washington Post op-ed after the election telling conservatives not to work for Trump. Max Boot, who urged an invasion of Iraq whether or not Saddam was involved in 9-11, is now a CNN analyst, post-columnist, and the author of a new book bashing Trump. John Yu, who wrote the unconstitutional torture memo, is suddenly concerned, concerned that Trump's appointment of his ghastly acting attorney general is unconstitutional. I mean... She left out Bill Kristol, David Frum, being lionized as leaders and liberal champions of the resistance, but whatever, we'll take what we can get. MSNBC is awash in nostalgia for Ronald Reagan and W. So it's a good moment for Adam, du- Ma- Adam McKay, the inventive director of The Big Short, to enter the debate with a movie that raises the question, is insidious destruction of our democracy by a bureaucratic samurai with the soothing voice of a boy's school headmaster even more dangerous than a self-destructive buffoon ripping up our values in plain sight. What she's referring to there is, is Cheney more dangerous or someone like Trump? How do you like your norms broken over Twitter or in a torture memo by a tin pot demagogue stomping on checks and balances he can't even fathom or a shadowy authoritarian expertly and quietly dismantling checks and balances he knows are sacred? McKay grappled with the W. Cheney debacle in 2009 when he co-wrote a black comedy with Will Ferrell called You're Welcome, America, A Final Night with George Bush. That was absolutely hysterical. In the Broadway hit, Ferrell's W. dismissed waterboarding as a bliss spot treatment and confided that he had once discovered Cheney locked in an embrace with a giant goat devil in a room full of pentagrams. When McKay was home with the flu three years ago, he grabbed a book and began reading up on Cheney. He ended up writing and directing Vice, a film that uses real-life imagery, witty cinematic asides, and cultural touchstones to explore the irreparable damage Cheney did to the planet, and how his blunders and plunders led to many of our current crises. With an echo of his Batman growl, Christian Bale brilliantly shapeshifts into an American psycho, uh, another American psycho, the lumbering, scheming Vice president who easily manipulates the naive and insecure W, deliciously played by Sam Rockwell. While W strives to impress his father, Cheney strives to impress his wife, Lynn, commandingly played by Amy Adams. Before we had Trump's swarm of blood-sucking lobbyists gutting government regulations from within, we had Cheney's. Before Trump brazenly used the White House to boost his brand, we had Cheney wallowing in emoluments. He let his energy industry pals shape energy policy. He pushed to invade Iraq, giving no-bid contracts to his former employer, Halliburton, and helping his big oil cronies reap the spoils in Iraq. The movie opens at Christmas, but it's no sugary hallmark fable. It's a harrowing cautionary tale showing that democracy could be sabotaged even more diabolically by a trusted insider respected by most of the press than by a clownish outsider disdained by most of the press. After screening of screening Vice, I asked McKay which of our two right-wing dementors was worse, Cheney or Trump. Here's the question, he said. Would you rather have a professional assassin after you or a frothing maniac with a meat cleaver? I'd rather have a maniac with a meat cleaver after me, so I think Cheney is way worse. And also, if you look at the body count, more than 600,000 people died in Iraq. Not even close, right? That is Maureen Dowd. Uh, I thought it was a great piece. I thought it was pretty important to show you that. On, on Veterans Day, uh, on top of Joe Biden uh, giving Liberty Awards to George W. Bush, which is, I, I, I mean, what do you say? What do you say? 
you can think Trump is dangerous. You could think Trump's gutting of regulations is terrible. You could think Trump's Islamophobia, misogyny, gross conspiracy theories he puts out there, uh, attack on electoral norms. You could think all of this is dangerous. But it's an insult to people, A, who died. It's an insult to the living victims, which are the families of these soldiers in Iraq. And it's an insult to historical accuracy to pretend that these people like Cheney and Bush and Bill Kristol and David Frum and Max Boot and Elliot Engel, and I could go on and on and on, are like just, you know, part of the conversation now. Just normal. These people, when you normalize people like this, you normalize fake wars, actually a real war based on fake intelligence, and you normalize crimes. Torturing is a crime. The doctoring of intelligence and evidence, crimes. Frankly, he stole the election too. These are all crimes. And these people should not be lionized. They should not be out in public at football games. They should not be out accepting awards from progressives like Joe Biden. And by the way, they're also responsible for ISIS. ISIS was created from the vacuum of Iraq. And the people that have died from ISIS, thank George W. Bush for that too. So remember this, when the media props up Joe Biden and, you know, will Biden run, will he not? I think he is going to run, unfortunately. Remember who he thinks we should be bipartisan with, who he thinks, let's push away the ideology and let's recognize these great Americans who launched us into catastrophic wars based on bullshit, who stand there next to veterans pretending they care when they didn't care when they were sending those veterans into war based on no evidence, based on no intelligence, based on trying to basically finish what his father started. Poppy push in the first Gulf War. History is doomed to repeat itself if history itself is changed if history itself is redacted, if history itself is altered, if the real villains are made into heroes, 